0: you'll go with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll be reading from uh, a a good portion of this, but want to highlight at the beginning of our time here this morning, the 18th and 19th verse of the book of Hebrews. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking here on the essentiality of God's word, a sermon we just simply called Essential, and we learned that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. How many of you had breakfast this morning? Anybody have breakfast? We got a few that did not. So your last meal was a few hours ago. Amen. Just as important as food to our natural bodies, this book and the truths in this book are important to our spiritual health. we talked about the fact that God's word is a foundation for our lives. And about the fact that not only is it a foundation, but it is a sword in our hands, a weapon against the enemy. How important it is for us to know this good book. We talked about the fact that this book, and only this book, is the book of salvation. It is the only book that makes us wise unto salvation. Amen. And then we talked about the fact that God's Word, if we will get into it, God's Word will equip us for what is ahead, for every good work. One translation of that passage says God's Word will help you with every assignment. It will enable you for every assignment that God brings into your life. I am so thankful for this essential book. Amen. Not only is it essential, it is reliable, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's reliable, it's reliable. amen. It is reliable, <coughs> amen. It would be sad if God required his word in our lives, but it was not reliable, amen, amen. And so, uh, would, you, would you join with me right now and just, would you shout it out to me right now? Uh, you can use your outside voice if you'd like. In fact, I'd like for you to do that. Would you say, this is what I want you to say. God and His Word is reliable. Okay? Let's say it together. God and His Word is reliable. Amen. Amen. We believe that. We believe that God and His Word are reliable. I I see that my order has come in. Uh, uh, Corey, did you bring that up? I don't know. Corey has started this business. I don't even know if he knows he started this business. But it's called Soda Shuttle. And he's... uh, Made his first delivery. Oh, oh, hey, uh, Corey, I'm sorry. I meant to give you that. Thank you for your delivery, sir. Uh, That's an easy way to make 20 bucks right there. Soda shuttle. Amen. Now, this is the very first time you've probably ever seen anyone get a soda delivered to them during a sermon. (laughs) Cherry Coke. Nectar of the gods. I've got some believers in the room. eh? Amen. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Look at that. Wow. I like Cherry Coke for a, a number of reasons. First of all, it tastes great. Not like some of those other sodas out there. Oh, you Dr. Pepper drinkers. I know, I know, I'm sorry. I've made some enemies, I know. (laughs) My mother, uh, in her later years, cherry Coke was her soda of choice, and so every time I would go home to visit, she would have some in the refrigerator or a supply somewhere, so I could expect that I could get some cherry Coke. Now, I I don't advocate drinking a lot of sodas. I I, I don't. This is... Certainly not an advertisement for Cherry Coke. But I'd like to ask you a simple question about your philosophy of life. Uh, tell me about this glass right here. Is it, uh, it? What is it? Is it half? It's half what? Half full. Now some of you, I, I, uh, I kind of felt a little bit of a rumbling here because I, I felt that some of you were saying, in your spirit at least, no, it's half empty. It's half empty. Well, actually, it might be a little more than half, so I need to fix that. Hang on a second. That's better. Amen. Uh, but you know what? Our philosophy in life really matters. How we look at life, how we view life really Really matters, and to some some people, optimism is the basic way they look at life. Everything is going to turn out okay. It's it's going to be good. They can kind of look back on their past and say, "Well, uh, considering most things in my life, you know, everything has turned out pretty well," and so they uh, they approach life with optimism. And then there are a, a few people who, because of uh, the negative nature of life and things, and things that have happened, they tend to, when when life happens and things come up in circumstances, situations in their life, they tend to be more pessimistic. Optimists and pessimists. Now, I just wanted to make a quick note. I did not say Optimus. Okay, because Optimus is uh, Optimus Prime is what he's a transformer, right? We're not going there. But optimists and pessimists. But here I want to present to you this morning that uh, as Christians, we certainly understand that pessimism is not the way for us to approach life because God's Word declares some truths and some positive truths about Him and His and the nature of His Word. And so we don't approach life with a pessimistic view but i but i can can i upset somebody's apple cart here this morning and declare to you that optimism is not a christian view uh, either it's not the view of god's word this is not how we ought to approach life with just optimism because here's the fact sometimes life is rough and sometimes bad things happen so we don't we don't look at circumstances we don't look at situations we look at life through the lens of God's holy word. We understand that God, God's word if God has declared it, then we understand it's going to be. It's going to be, it's going to happen. And we may not know the time or the situation in which it will happen, but we understand that if God has declared it, it's going to happen. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about the truth of God's word and the hope that it brings us. Verse number 8 18, so that by two unchangeable things. And we'll learn about what that is in just a moment. In which it is impossible for God to lie. Amen. I think I need to read that again. Again, it is impossible. Not that he doesn't lie, but he doesn't, he doesn't even have the ability to lie. It's impossible that God would lie. Amen. Amen. We who have fled for refuge... Of course, the writer of Hebrews is writing to uh, Jewish believers, believers who had actually fled for their lives uh, in the culture in which they were living, that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Amen. Amen. I hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I want us to lock on those few words there at the beginning of verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Amen. What do you do? when you find yourself in a storm of epic proportions where do you go do you go to your optimism do you throw your hands up in pessimism and say well this is what i expected this is this is what the way uh, life go, has gone for me uh, since i can remember so why why should things get better i'm not asking you to lean on your optimism or turn to your pessimism I'm declaring that we need to turn to God's word because this is what Jesus said about his word. When he was talking about the the end time, the time in which we find ourselves right now, he said heaven and earth, all these things that people depend upon, heaven and earth is going to pass away. And he declares it, but my word, my word will not pass away. What he's saying is is if, if we have faith in anything else except for God's word, we're, we're building our lives on shaky foundation, something that's not going to last. If we trust in this world, we trust in our own ability and our own mind and our own strength to accomplish something, then we're trusting in something we ought not trust in. Jesus said it is wise to trust in my words. It is wise. It is unwise to trust in anything else. Peter echoes this sentiment when he was talking about the frailty of life in First Peter chapter 1. And he says, this uh, grass withers and a flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. It remains forever. Amen. Amen. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen amen so we we have to develop a biblical philosophy when it comes to circumstances to situations and to life it's important that we understand that god and his word is reliable amen it's reliable it can be trusted it can be trusted. We've got to understand this and believe this and live this that it can be trusted. Amen. This is a question that David grappled with in Psalm 39. In Psalm 39 he is wrestling with life and the brevity of life and the fact that life is so quickly gone. And in the middle of this Psalm he asks a question. Last week we, we talked about the questions that God asks and that question in, in specific that why are you spending your money for that which is not bread. And why are you laboring for that which cannot satisfy you? And, and God's not asking that question and, and the questions in the Bible that we see him ask because he is lacking information. He already knows it. And this is kind of what David is doing when he asks this question of God in Psalm 39, 7. Here's what he says. And now, O Lord, for what do, do I wait? What am I waiting on, God? But David answers his question. He doesn't even wait for God to answer it. He says, my hope is in you. Amen. So I've come to ask that question. What are we waiting on? What are we longing for? What are we hoping for in life? What are we anticipating? Is our hope based in Life circumstances, whether or not we've got a good job, whether or not we've got a nice house to live in, whether or not we've got a decent car to drive, or are we basing our hope in something more eternal and more steadfast and more sure like God's Word and God's character? What are we longing for? What are we building our life on? This is what David is asking. What what am am I waiting for, God? What is worth waiting for? And he says, Lord, my I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm hoping for you. Amen. I hope that's the response of everyone in this building here this morning. Everyone watching this today. I hope that our response is, God, I, I know that there's some things I'd like to have in life. I hope some things happen. Uh, like, you know, I, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. Uh, but I don't think. That's kind of a wish, right? I have no control over whether it rains or not, right? Sometimes I hope it will rain, and it doesn't. It's just kind of like you know, uh, if if I if I don't want it to rain, then I should just hope that it does, because I have a better track record than that than hoping that it will. And it does. What are we hoping for? See, hope is found. In the waiting. It is found in the waiting. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. He says this hope that when we hope in God. When we trust his word. And trust his promises. We can understand that he is going to fulfill those promises. He'll make good on them. It may take him some time. But he will make good on his promises. And and in the... the uh, Concept and idea of storms here is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us because he likens hope to an anchor. Now, I ask you this morning, what do we, what do we need an anchor for? To polish it? So, oh, look at that nice anchor. Make sure it's not rusty. We don't need an anchor to, to look at, right, and admire. We need an anchor for the, for the purpose of storms, right? So we can throw it overboard when we find ourselves in a storm and life, our, our life is being threatened and our, our, our hope is being taken away from us. We find storms throughout scriptures, right? We, we see at the very beginning of scripture in and, and, uh, Genesis chapter 6, we find Noah and his family and all the animals that are uh, land animals in the, in the ark. And they, were in, they find themselves in a storm. It's not uh, in nice, placid waters that they're, they're floating on. And even if the waters were placid on the outside, I promise you what was happening on the inside of that ark was tumultuous. I mean, it was crazy on so many levels. All these animals, the smell, it in and of itself was probably overwhelming. The psalmist in Psalm 107 tells us he he likens life to people who do their business on a a sea. And they go out on the sea in a boat and they find themselves in a storm. So much so that the waves are tossing the boat up to the heavens and down to the depths of the earth. And the psalmist describes the people on the ship as drunk people because they're staggering around. They don't know what to do. Their hearts are melting in them for fear. And this is the way life feels sometimes, right? Have you ever been there where your mind is overwhelmed with what is happening around you? And you're looking at the circumstances in which you thought you could trust. And they're crumbling. These people on this ship in Psalm 107 cry out to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that he calmed the sea. And they, they made it to their destination because they cried out to the Lord because their hope was not in the sea. Their hope was not in their abilities. Their hope was in the Lord. And this is what David was declaring. What am I waiting on, God? i tell you what I'm waiting on. My, my hope is in you. I hope, what I'm longing for, what, what I desire the most in life, it is you, God. It is you that I'm hoping for, I'm longing for. The disciples even found themselves on a, on a ship in, an, in the Sea of Galilee, and the storm was threatening their life. They even asked Jesus after they awakened him, don't you care that we perish? I don't know if you've ever been there, but that's been a question I've asked of God. A couple of times, don't you? Don't you even care? And it wasn't an accusatory question, but it, it just—it was how I felt. God, don't you care if I perish? And the truth is, is that He does. He does care. And my hope is not in the ship. My hope is not in my own abilities. I'm not wishing that the storm would go away. I'm praying for his strength in the storm, in the storm. This is how Paul felt in Acts 27 when he found himself in another storm. In, in Corinthians, he says that I've been in shipwreck three times already in my life, in my ministry, in my life, I've been in shipwreck three times. And now, now, we believe that he wrote that prior to Acts 27. So if, you're, if you know how to add... You can understand that he was in at least four shipwrecks, if, if we're counting right. I, I've never been in a shipwreck, uh, but four four shipwrecks in a lifetime uh, would make you wonder why you would want to step foot on another ship, <laughs> right? It mean, might be telling you something. Maybe you need to leave, uh, travel by foot or horseback or something, but certainly don't use a ship. But Paul declared in Acts 27, he declared this, he said, The angel of the Lord has stood by me this night. And he has told me that that there's not going to be any loss of life. Sometimes when we find ourselves in a storm, the best we can hope for is to come out with our life. Just come out with our faith. Come out with our belief that God is in control in spite of the storm. So the writer of Hebrews likens the believer's life to a, a ship, uh, being on a ship in chapter 6. And here's, here's what he said. Let's go to verse number 9 real quickly if you want to read, if you would read this with me. Verse number 9 of Hebrews chapter 6. Listen, as though we speak in this way, yet in your case... Beloved, we feel sure of better things. Now, he's been, he's been very pointed about some things. He's, he's been talking to them about some things that need to change. He says, but yet, we, though we're speaking in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. They're serving saints, possibly some who are in prison. And we desire each one of you to show the same eagerness to the full assurance of the hope until the end. Sometimes we have to hope all the way to the end. And so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is how we get God's promises, is through faith and patience, trust and endurance. I know we live in a society where we like things fast and quick. And its uh, I'm afraid it's done something to our faith and our ability to wait on God. Trust Him. We like it quick and fast. You know, if someone uh, doesn't uh, press the accelerator the nanosecond the light turns green we're 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 getting upset Amen. honking our horn revving our engine and and we we treat god this way if if it doesn't happen immediately we have to wait a day or two or a week or but but the the the, the example that we're giving given in hebrews is the example of abraham And how Abraham walked with God through faith and patience. It wasn't perfect, and we'll learn that. For when God made a promise, verse number 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. You see, Abraham's story. I noticed this in in my studying for this sermon this morning. We have... uh, we have the creation story. We have Adam and Eve in the garden. We have the story of the, the serpent coming and Adam and Eve's failure. And then we, we have, uh, on the heels of that, we have Noah and the story of the ark happening. And then on somewhere on the heels of that in chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And this is man's effort to do things for himself and to create things without depending on God. Man trusting in himself, uh, optimism at its greatest. We're going to build something to make a great name for ourselves. And oh, if, if any other portion of Scripture des- describes the culture in which we're living right now, the Tower of Babel story describes the mindset of our culture. We're going to do something. We're going to... Turn our backs on God. We're going to do something for ourselves. and we're not, going, we're not going to depend on God. We're going to depend on ourselves. And this story of the Tower of Babylon is set in contrast to the story of Abraham, this single man and his wife who God calls out of his homeland and says, I want you to go to a land which I will show you. Uh... God, I'm going to need a little more information. I'm going to need a little more information. Uh, I don't even know which direction to go. Is it north? Is it south? Is it east, west? I'll show you. Just leave. And I'll show you. That is in such contrast to the self-will of the Tower of Babel. And God's showing us uh, in the society, this is how we must live today. We must live with a trust in God. Sometimes, have you found this out in your living for God? Sometimes, God doesn't give you very much information. Sometimes, it's only enough information to take the next step. We'll see the end. Lord, uh, where am I going? I'll show you. Uh. Can you at least give me the state? I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you. This is how Abraham learned to live. This is what God said to him in chapter 12. I want you to go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, oh, this wonderful promise that we have. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here we sit this morning. Fulfillment of that promise right there. That in him, through Abraham in his family, through the Messiah that was born, Through the seed of Abraham, we sit here this morning being blessed. And as God made some promises, you see, God made promises to Abraham. But it took a while for those promises to happen, right? Life happened. Not only did God make a promise to Abraham, then life got kind of in the way. It seems. Because at chapter 12, we see God making the promise to Abraham about having children. Now, let me just ask you this. How old was Abraham and Sarah? They were old, right? Scripture tells us tells us that Abraham was 75 at this point. And we know that Sarah was about 10 years younger than her. So she was about 65. They were old. So they, they set out on this journey, not knowing where they're going. Uh, he has inherited his brother's son, Lot, has his own son. And so uh, Abraham, as they're traveling, he's thinking about this promise probably, and he's thinking, okay, uh, maybe since Lot is my son, then maybe Lot's where this is all going to come from. And we, we find out not only does God ask Abraham to leave his homeland, leave what is familiar, but he also asks him to leave Lot. The, maybe the, the fact that he was hoping that Lot was the promised child in which the, the, the promise of God would be fulfilled. And so he has to leave Lot at some point in his journey. And then along the way, Abraham and Sarah decide that God's taking too long. I don't know what what, at what year it was, but the whole thing took 25 years before the promise of God to to come to pass. 25 years. Let me just ask you, here this morning... Have you been waiting on something for 25 years? I think there's probably some people in this building who have been praying some prayers for more than 25 years. I just want to tell you this morning, hold on, his promises will endure. Hold on, his promises will endure. That's the hope that you've got to hold on to. The fact that it will happen. It will happen. Life gets in the way sometimes we think because we think surely this is not the way God planned it. A 25 year wait on your promise, Lord? Surely you've not uh, wanted me to wait that long. Surely you made the promise for it to happen quickly. And sometimes God just doesn't do things in our timing, right? He doesn't listen to our our request for it to happen quickly. You see, he had here's what was happening in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Everything that they naturally trusted in had to be dispelled. And this is the journey that we're on. If we trust in our own ability, God is going to work in our lives in ways to get us to quit trusting ourselves. There's going to be things that happen in our life, not because God is trying to destroy us, but he's trying to develop us. He's trying to shift our trust from ourselves to him. Because here's the fact, heaven and earth will pass away. Everything that we trust in, in the natural life, is going to pass away. But if we will put our trust in God, we will build our lives on a sure foundation, something that is steadfast and sure and that will not pass away. Amen. Let me just ask the question to David again. Lord, what on what are we waiting? Our hope is in you. We wait for you, God. You are our hope. You are our strength. But here's here's the truth. Uh, The the writer of of Hebrews says it uh, so quickly we can almost miss it. Verse number 14, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited, patiently waited, attained the promise. Now, that happened so quickly, we can miss the truth of what really happened. 25 years of waiting for the promise. The promise came, and then God says, Isaac's born in in Genesis 21. We don't know how old he was, but in Genesis 22, it begins with this. And the Lord tested Abraham and said to him, Take your son, your only son, and take him and offer him. As a sacrifice. You see Abraham not only had to learn to not put his trust in the things that he naturally had. He had to learn to not put his trust in what God himself had given him. This is what God said to Abraham in Genesis 18. I am your reward. I am not 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 that promise, child. Not that promise. Not that thing I've given you. Not that blessing that I poured out in your life. I am your reward. And we've got to get that in our spirits. In this society in which we live, we've got to understand this. That God is our reward. He is our portion. He is what we're hoping in. He, He is what we're trusting in. And He is reliable. He's reliable. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. Amen. After he had patiently waited, oh God, give us trust in you and endurance. Give it to us, Lord, because this is what we need. It's not the snap of a finger, it's not the speed of a prayer. Sometimes God answers prayers immediately. There are times when God holds that answer for a while. We've got to be ready for that as well. Oh, I love it when God answers a prayer immediately. Boom. I'm conditioned for that. But for our 25-year wait, oh, God, help me. I can't wait that long, Lord. It's not in me to wait that long. Oh, yes, it is. God's developing something in you. He's not trying to destroy you, but he's developing something in you that you're going to need, not only for this life, but for for the life that is to come. We've got to have some endurance built into us, into our spirits, into our minds, into our hearts. Understand that we have got to be able to learn to patiently. Wait for the Lord. For this is what Isaiah said. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I spoke about this before, but waiting seems to drain me of energy. But what God is declaring in Isaiah 40 is that if you learn to wait right, it actually renews your strength. Oh, God, help us. Why don't we pray that prayer right now? I think we, we need to. Lord, help me. Help me to learn to wait in the proper way, God, so that my strength is not depleted, but that it is, is, it is renewed, oh, God, by, by your Spirit, that when I learn to wait on you in the proper way, God, the things that I face in life will not destroy my faith, but they will build my faith up. They'll put in me strength. They'll put in me endurance. They'll put in me, oh, God, Trust in you, Jesus. Trust in you. Amen. Verse number 16, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is the final confirmation. Verse 17, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two Unchangeable things. The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. The oath that he made to Abraham in Genesis 22. After Abraham was completely obedient to him. Took his son and laid him on an altar. Was willing to give up the promise of God so that he might be obedient to God to prove that he could trust God even in the midst of things that seemed unlikely and it seemed impossible and it seemed crazy, he was willing to put those promises on the altar and say, God, I trust you more. I have found you to be reliable. You see, this was not the nature of Abraham in chapter 16. This wasn't his nature. He was trying to connive a a way to fulfill God's promises. But here in chapter 22, we have seen the growth of Abraham. And I want to just declare to you, you, you're going through some things right now. God may be testing you or life may be testing you. You may be in a storm, but if you will approach this storm, you'll approach this situation correctly with trust in God, God will build you. He will strengthen you. You will come out on the other side of all this stronger than you are right now. Don't curse the storm. Embrace it. Know that God's going to take you through. So that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. God can't lie. We have who we who have fled for refuge. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. A sure and steadfast anchor. We don't have an anchor for the good times. We have an anchor for the storms. Amen. And God has promised us that sure and steadfast anchor. So let me again ask you the question David asked. And maybe all of us should ask this question ourselves. Oh Lord, for what am I waiting? For what do I wait My hope is in you. Amen. You're my reward, as Abraham declared. You're my portion, as Isaiah declared. You're what I'm hoping for, Lord Jesus. Not things, but you. Not your promises. Well, I love God's promises, but I want him more. Amen. Worldly hope is based on circumstances, and it's based on our ability to control them. Biblical hope is not a wish. Biblical hope is based in something that's sure and steadfast, something that will happen. You see, because it is based in God's character. Amen. It's based in God's character. That's why we can say we have fled for refuge into a a sure hope, a a steadfast hope. We flee this culture because uh, their their trust is in themselves. We flee the fear of the society in which we live. We flee for it into faith in God, into a sanctuary where where we can find God's strength. We flee from the culture in which we live for something better, something more steadfast, something more sure it is our hope in God. And it is why Jesus said, My words will never pass away. My words will never pass away. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? In a few moments, we're going to be baptized in Dallas. So, Dallas, if you want to go ahead and make your way back to the Baptistry area, we're going to, at the close of our time together, we'll. We're going to get this honor to baptize him in the wonderful name of Jesus. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about this for a moment. What am I trusting in? What is it that I trust? Do I say I trust God only to abandon that trust when something unforeseen and unmanageable happens in my life? Or do I understand and believe that if if God made me a promise, if He made me a promise, then I know in time it will happen. And here's the thing. Some some of God's promises may not even be fulfilled in a way that you can comprehend that it's happened. Or it may not happen in your lifetime. But I will promise you this. If God has said it, it will happen. We may not know when. We may not know how, but we know it will happen. So here's here's the altar call. We've got to learn to shift our hope to something reliable. And I want to ask you to, to really think about this. And make the effort over the next several days, maybe weeks, to move your faith from yourself, from the society, from your Abilities, thank God for your abilities, from your intellect, from what you've amassed, what you have in your bank account, or what the experiences that you have. I'm I'm asking all of us to move our hope from that to the only thing, the only thing that will last forever. The only thing that will last forever. Oh, come on, New Life Church. We can't live our life with trust in ourselves alone. We have got to move our trust to God. And so it's simple this morning. If you will shift your focus, I'm asking you to fill these altars right now. Come on, just fill these altars. If you're, you're wanting to shift your focus, maybe, maybe you've already got this right, but, but maybe there's somebody in the building this morning that, that you've been so confused by life. And you're realizing right now that you've been putting your trust in yourself or in something else. And you need to move, you need to shift your focus from something that's, that's fading and something that's failing to something that is eternal and something that is reliable. Let's pray together right now in the name of Jesus. Let's make this a strong matter of prayer right now. Let's search our hearts, New Life Church. Come on, let's search our hearts. Let's ask God over the next few days to reveal to us if we're trusting in something other than him, that, that it's something other than him is our reward, is something other than him is our portion. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord. We ask you, God, to help us, help us to truly look at our lives. Oh, Lord Jesus, as you test us, oh, Lord, help us to understand, God, that as we go through these testings like Abraham did, God, you can reveal some things about us that need to be revealed. Write down the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, God, right now, Lord. The mighty name of Jesus.